And I think that loving ourselves is the hardest job and actually the only job that we have. Welcome to the Audacious Founder Podcast. This is a podcast for entrepreneurial women. It's going to help you build confidence, obliterate mental blocks, gain knowledge, and harness the audacity to start your business, grow your business, or just start living your life with a whole lot more fucking audacity than you have been. My name's Melissa Manning. I've founded and co-founded more than 13 businesses in 10 years. And I've got more than 45,000 hours of business operating experience that I want to share with you. And I am here to A, learn more because we're never ever done, and B, get you to a new level, a new audacious level. So let's get into it. identity is is that we're always trying to find it Mm. whereas I think other people see it oh agreed you know that's because that's what they're drawn to us for you know like when um when my son was about four my son Sage Mm -hmm. we sat this one day and we're playing a game of old maid I don't know if you know that card game it's like got the matching pair of cards and there's the baker and the banker and and the teacher and you, you know, you turn over the cards to get a match. And we were playing the cards and more, more playing the game to learn about the different jobs people can have in the world and just mucking about. And the witch card got turned over. And my son Sage said, Oh, look, Mum, it's you. How and he was four? He was four. And at the time I was um I had a clinical practice that I worked at a couple of days a week where I was doing massage, Chinese massage therapy and acupressure and Reiki and aromatherapy and kind of, so I was on the edge of my witch. I was absolutely there, but I was doing that part-time and I was a mum and I was studying and like, so I was in the middle of many things. Did you call yourself a witch? No, I'd never said to Sage, your mum is a witch or, and he knew I went to work to do massage But that's what I'm saying is like to my son Sage, when he didn't know anything in the world other than she's my mum, he hadn't learned to, you know, he wasn't in school yet. Like there wasn't the ways that the world teach us to stay inside the box. Right. And actually that reminds me of your book, A Series of Surrenders. And you talk a lot about Sage and that happened a lot with him, didn't it? Where he would say something that had to have come from spirit oh absolutely yeah yeah. and he yeah and I don't think I never had an experience with him where that wasn't just an okay thing so I don't think he ever had any silencing of his listening in that way but he didn't identify as someone who had a connection to spirit he didn't at all like he, his identity was, he was a famous inventor. He was very, very, very clear about the fact that he was a famous inventor. I love that. Yeah. And oh, the confidence that we have as kids when, when everybody around you is not telling you, no, you're not that thing or yeah. no, it's not okay to be intuitive. Yeah. Right? Like he didn't even notice that these thoughts or these ideas were coming to him because they were so normal. It just, it just yeah. was. Yeah. I yeah. am not a certain way. I just am. Yeah. yeah. And he knew I'm an inventor and I'm famous. Yeah, I'm a famous inventor. I'm powerful. I'm, yeah. you know, yeah. I have gifts. He, 
Yeah, he had that fixation and identity for a few years. And it got really like, because he had Asperger. So Asperger um, can have a tendency to get fixated on something. Okay. Get really, 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 really interested in something and gets laser focused. And he had this identity as this famous inventor. And it stuck around for a couple of years. And he was like serious, like he had big, massive drawings of his inventor lab and all of these different, like all these, like his mind was completely there. And so as his mom, I began to fear that this dream wasn't going to come true for him, that at some point his heart was going to break. Because I thought, how does this kid grow up to be a famous inventor? You know what I mean? Like I got caught up in all of my adult, all of the things, right? So I started to like question some things with Sage. It's like, well, you know, like it costs a lot of money to get a big lab like that. And like, so I just started to try to bring in a little bit of like realism Mm-hmm. thinking let's just make a little bit of space between the famous inventor and reality okay. in my effort in my adult adults know best bullshit that I was going to be protecting my son and each time that I would come at him with just well what about or this whatever he would always take it very seriously and not immediately but consider it and then within a day or two come back to me and give me all the reasons why it was possible oh god I love that Right. And there was this one day I remember I was laying in the bath in a bubble bath, just relaxing. And then Sage knocks on the door and like just, you know, lands into the bathroom as kids do like, you know, no boundaries. I need to tell you this now. And he came in with all of these, with the list of all the reasons why some aspect of his famous inventor life was going to be real. And they were real things. I was like listening, going, that's actually possible. Like you spent two days thinking about it and you're right. Like, I don't know if it's going to work out that way, but actually that is possible. And I was laying in this bubble bath, looking up at my son, just explaining to me all the ways he was going to make sure that his dream was activated. And I realised I was like, oh, I'm the one on the wrong end of the stick here. I'm not protecting my son at all. If I actually listen to him, what he's teaching me in the moment right now is you can be whoever you want to be. Yeah. And all dreams are possible. And there's a way to figure out all obstacles. It's about your commitment to it. And the thing with Sage's famous inventor is he was never told no. Like that was the beginning of me saying, well, what if? But I never said, no, you can't be that or it's wrong to be that or that's not a choice you can make. And he was just so committed to it that it was possible that there was no there was no barrier to his his dream of being a famous inventor. It was just stuff he was going to have to figure out along the way. I wish he could teach that to adults because I think that that's what most children have. And of course, you said he has Asper- he had Asperger's, so he was like even more hyper-focused on things. But I think that's how kids generally are because they don't know any of the obstacles that will come up. And then society and parents and whoever tells you okay well you can't do that because there's an ocean between you how are you going to get past the ocean you can't do that because ultimately if every human being knew or had the confidence or the trust in themselves and their vision that sage had can you imagine and all of the people who have accomplished the craziest things had that they had what sage had the focus the trust in their vision the trust in their capabilities and i guess also the willingness to stay with it when it's not working mm-hmm. you yeah. know because because life is full of challenges and obstacles which is also a part of 
of what we're here for. We are here to fight for our lives and to fight for our dreams and to expand in our, you know, in our soul and selves, right? So that's not going to be easy. No. Like that's, that is going to be giving us challenges along the way, which is a part of the divine design mm-hmm. in earthbound living. So what do you think then causes us to give up so quickly? Oh, I think it's, it's a myriad of things. And I think it does depend on some of those core things that we were taught or started to believe when we were younger. Like I think our identity is, is not um, not set in stone when we're younger. I think it's, it is fluid, but we're learning from the outside world and from the adults around us and from school and from our friends and our siblings, like what's allowed, what's not allowed, what we're good at, what we're not good at, what people are coming to us for, mm-hmm. um, what makes us feel like we belong. So I think all of that helps to, to shape it all. Right. Um, and so the things that stop us from being in that full identity are most likely seated back there. Mm-hmm. Like for me, the evolution of me stepping into being my full witch has been the process of figuring out what was happening for that little three, four-year-old girl crying on her bed, telling her spirit friends to go away. Like, how can I ask them to come back? Right. You know, and it was it was more than one one moment, you know, that that in itself was was a part of, of, of my journey, you know, and working through the things, which is why, you know, stuff like mindset and um, and understanding yourself are, I think, core parts of being successful as a human. So Sage left this physical world when he was... He was one month shy of turning 11. In your book, you, you know, you're going through the process of trying to heal yourself and just figure out I mean there's a lot of identity stuff in there too right like who am I now that he is not here and honestly when even when my daughter's not with me I'm just like who am I when she's like I have to then be myself but being myself without having my kid next to me so I can't imagine what this was like for you and um, there's this quote that you have all that had been my home was dead, broken, or gone. This is, I think, after the tree mm-hmm. had just split and died. And here I was slowly falling through the layers. There was no going back now. So to me, that's like, that's leaving an identity. Well, yeah, it's, but it's more like leaving a, leaving a chapter of life because some of, these, some of these key identities, I think, like I still identify as a mother. So Sage died eight, more than eight years ago now, but I still am a mother. I recognise that myself in many ways. And what I needed to do was to figure out how does the mother in me continue to be a mother in this life when I'm not caring for the child that came from my body. Right. You know, so the mother identity in me has absolutely transformed. Right. I think you should write a book about that. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. because I f- I think that so many women who have lost a child have that feeling of like, how can I still be a mother? I am still a mother, but how can I be that in the world without that child next to me? So I, I think it also happens when children grow up and they move away and they, you know, because like particularly like whether it's mother or father, like one of those lifelong commitments that you make, there's a switch that gets turned on. Yeah. Like 
and it doesn't ever get turned off. No. Right. And so uh, you have to stay, you have to stay with the evolution of it. Right. You know, but that, that story of like when the, the tree in the backyard died and I'd sold the house and I'd left Australia, like that wasn't, that was definitely like a, a crossroads of my identity, but I would, I could no longer identify as the mother who needed to make sure the school uniforms were washed and ready for Monday morning. Yeah. I was no longer the, the, the single parent who had to make enough money every month to pay the mortgage on that house. Like, so there were certain parts of my identity that naturally just flew away. Mm-hmm. That I just, that I was just like, they're gone. Like, that's an end point. Like, I, I can't, even if I tried, I can't go back to being that person. Like, that is finished. And I think in terms of our life trajectories, and this isn't necessarily so for everybody, but some souls come through and I believe that they actually reincarnate more than once in this life. So not in terms of reincarnating into a new body, but reincarnating into a new soul print, right? Mm. So that, so that it, it's a dramatic shift in identity because a big soul lesson is learned and then you need to shift in order to integrate that lesson into the next identity. Huh. Can you say that again? So it's like, so it's the idea of reincarnation is that, you know, you had your time, you go up, you get recycled, you come back down in a new body, right? It's the idea of not a full, complete reincarnation, but reincarnating in this life, in this body. Okay. So that one one part of your soul's evolution comes to a complete Uh while you're still living. Okay. So you internally need to do the reincarnation kind of reborn stuff to yeah. step into a new identity. And that can happen in small ways when people have like big career shifts. I think it happens for people when they um, lose a loved one or um, decide to divorce, um, you know, so that this is kind of happening right. um, for us in, in, in many chapters. Okay. But I think for some souls, they get like a big like it's a whole yeah whole shift and that's what I think happened to me when Sage died like I think I got to a point of like like that like there's no going back there now there is actually no back it's just I have to start complete fresh again wow wow and you said a soul print yeah like I think because we like my my thinking and understanding of it is is that we we come into this life with different soul footprints, you know, with like different things that are part of the blueprint plan for this soul life of like, okay, I'm going to come down I'm going to learn this, this, and this, mm-hmm. and I'm going to give to the world this, this, and this in, in the, in the different ways. And I think for some of those, we're given certain experiences, like we're given the family that we were born into, we're given the country that we lived in, the certain circumstances that happened to us in certain parts of our lives. And I think there's also parts where that shifts. Yeah. So like an example for that, for me being that my, my soul print has shifted is when I go home to Australia to see my family, I clearly feel like I am coming to visit. I no longer feel like I am going home. And that's happened for a few years. And like, it didn't happen immediately, but it, when it started to happen, it was, it was kind of, it was uncomfortable because I was like, 
I was born in Australia. That's where my mum lives. That's where my dad and my son are buried. Like that, that should be home, right? You know. But when I tuned into my soul self, it was very clearly no longer home. Where do you get that feeling? I used to get that feeling um, from New York, mm-hmm. but I don't anymore. Same. So there's been another evolution shift, and in part. I think I'm I, I'm learning more and more and more to feel that not connected to a place, mm. but connected um, wherever you are, wherever I am, and also being connected to the people I need to be around for huh. for me now, yeah, and the place that has the right vibration. But I mean, you know, like in twelve days, I'm moving to a new country, so maybe that's going to be like I'm calling it home. But yeah. is that actually? Like that, that really core feeling. Like I don't think I've ever actually really felt, felt, felt the strength mm. of home like I did when Australia was home. Like wow. I think this next chapter is about actually not being grounded in one place. That's my sense. When I go to my parents' house in Virginia, I don't feel like home. I feel the complete opposite. Um, I used to feel like home when I would go to Long Island, which is where I lived before Virginia but I didn't really have a home there anymore. That's why I have a tattoo of Italy on my arm because the last time I felt that feeling of this is home was when I was in Palermo, Italy, but I never actually had lived there. Yeah. So it's, it's this strange thing. And then I wonder too, if that's something that we can create or we can cultivate, right? Cause you're talking about trying to create that connection with people so that it's not just stuck to a place. So I'm in Miami now and I'm curious, like, am I going to be able to create that feeling here? Whether it's with people or whether it's, yeah, you know, where I live. In your book too, there's a part and I, oh, I resonated so hard with this because self-love is love-hate relationship. In your book, you said at one point, damn that self-love shit. And then Venerable Lakshani, he says, he says, the love you have for your son, you must now give not only to others, but also to yourself. And you said, damn, the deeper lesson in love. It is much easier to love others. Now I needed to learn to love me. Damn, I knew this was the key to the lock, but I also knew this lesson would take time and care. Loving others seemed easy compared to the weight I felt in loving myself. Yeah. Hearing that now, and especially on brink of this shift in your identity and how you're moving forward in life as yourself, where you're living, who you're serving and how you're serving, how does that quote hit you now? Or how do you feel about self-love when you hear that? Yeah. I think when that, when that happened, it was in the first year of Sage's life and I was in a meditation retreat in Sri Lanka thinking this is I'm going to get the answer and of course it's not just one simple answer that the Buddhists were saying well just sit and meditate a little bit longer and <laughs> let go a little bit more and I was just like oh, I just want the answer I just want the pain to go away I just want the answer and the answer was like you know this self-love stuff mm-hmm. and I kind of I had this even before Sage died I had this it has to be more than love like every, all the spiritual teachers and, you know, all the Oprahs and all the people who I read the books of, they say, you know, the essence is love. And I'm just like, that's a Hallmark card. That's a Disney movie. It has to be something else, you know? So I was kind of like in this pursuit of it has to be something else. And then a key aspect of my healing of 
Sage's passing was just surrendering to the fact it is actually that and to actually love and have your core be love is the hardest thing for a human to do the most natural thing for us to do but to maintain it and to sustain it and to continue to return back return back to to that essence of love and and being in loving relationship to ourselves and to the world and I think that loving ourselves is the hardest job and actually the only job that we have I'm just thinking as you're saying that, that to continue to, or to maintain that essence of love, so fucking hard, number one, but I'm thinking maintaining that essence of love outward, like loving other people, that's, that's hard. But I think when you truly get to a place where you're able to love yourself, then it's not, I mean, maintaining that love for yourself. Yes, that is the challenge. But once you're able to strengthen that muscle and you're able to return to that essence of love for yourself then spreading that outward becomes second nature it becomes like yeah and the way and the work and the work becomes clearer yeah the vibration that you're sitting at there's a couple of mantras that i i use when i need to return and one is if in doubt add more love so like if I'm ever kind of like, I don't know what to do or this person's annoying me or I'm feeling like I'm feeling lost within this, I just stop, breathe and just say, just add more love now. Like just okay. what's the most loving thing to happen now? And in relationship to other people, particularly when they're doing stuff that's not pleasing yeah, or bringing to you the challenges that are going to help you actually soul evolve, but it's tricky and challenging in the moment. Yeah, The mantra I use there is my only job is to love them. My only job is to love them. Mm-hmm. And it's tricky. You've got to work on it. You've got to repeat that, particularly with people who are really pushing your buttons. Yeah. And it is. I think the, the, the life path is around self-love. And we feel that, like, in how we treat ourselves, but then we also feel that in, how, in who we allow into our life and how they treat us, how we're teaching people how to treat us, the choices that we make. Like, I... Um, I used to self-medicate with alcohol. That used to be my thing. And I felt like I was allowed because my son had died. Um, And now, you know, if I feel drawn towards wanting to move towards the bottle of wine, and sometimes I do, I will say, right? On the odd occasion, the wine wins. But more often than not, the question I ask myself is, is this the loving thing to do? Hmm. Is this the loving thing to do? Or do you just need to go and have a bubble bath? Or do you need to call a friend? Or you need to, or do you I need to call a friend in the bath with the wine? Is that the loving thing? Then do that. It's like but going it's out for a cigarette thing. break. It's like yeah. giving yourself a moment. That's that's what the I mean, and we choose to do that through wine, or we choose to do that, you know, yeah. Yeah. through various yeah. substances or or actions, right? Yeah. And I think in terms of getting back to identity, if we are really backing ourselves and and practicing love for self then we're giving ourselves the permission to be our core identity because that is a loving thing for ourselves and our soul like so I as I move further and further into being the moon witch it means I can let go of all of the things I've been holding up in trying to hide that identity or protect Mm. that identity which just makes more space for the magic Mm, I think that's really important. 
I think that's really important in, in accepting that it allows you to let go of a lot of the things that you're using to hide your core identity, yeah. hide the pieces of you that are truly authentic, that truly resonate, that are truly aligned and allows you to step more fully into what you are. Yeah. And then you can get busy. And then you can get busy serving. Serving. Because that's actually what it's all about too. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Deb. This is such a great conversation. Okay. Your book again. Series Surrenders. Yes. Yes. It's on Amazon. It is. Right. It is. Great. And do you want to tell everyone your Instagram handle and your website? Yeah. So my business is Big Life Magic. So you can see me Big Life Magic on Instagram or Facebook. But I also have a Facebook group where I do live teachings and card readings within the group called Big Life Magic Makers. And each month I do new moon circles that anyone's invited to. Anyone can come to any of the new moon circles, which happens obviously new moon every month which that always gets updated within the Facebook group and on the website, you know, website is biglifemagic.com. Okay, Deb, thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) I hope to talk to you very soon. I'll talk to you in the Facebook group. Yeah. All right. Good luck with all of your identity interviews. Thank you. Thank you so much. Love you. Love you. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, Every time I have a conversation with Deb, I always end up feeling really at ease and at peace. So I hope you have the same feeling after listening to this. If you haven't done so already, please like this episode, share it with all your friends. Uh, If you haven't done so, please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star rating because that is going to allow more people to find us. In this episode, we talked about being reincarnated into the same life, having your soul print get a restart. What are some of the moments where you feel like that map for your life has changed and now you're going into an entirely new trajectory? Let us know, send me an email, comment on this post, send me a DM and let me know if that soul print conversation resonated with you or or really any part of this conversation resonated with you. I want to know about you. So thank you so much again for being a part of the Audacious Founder Podcast. I can't wait to bring you more awesome episodes. So stay tuned.